Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to the ANZ Agri Commodity Insights uh, edition this August 2022. And uh, time's flying. We're on the cusp of spring and have to say things look really well placed. Um, most areas have had a good start. Our water storages are really quite full. Um, weather has interfered with the end of our summer sort of cropping programs and into the winter one and and some delays in the winter program as well. But by and large, uh, we come into spring with every chance of, of completing a lot of people what would be the third um, really better than average and almost spectacular year in a row, um, depending on where you are exactly. So let's hope that can materialise because I think that, um, you know, given that we've been saying for a while that things could hardly get better, therefore there's a bit of room for downside, some of that downside is starting to sneak into our equation, albeit off uh, a really spectacular high. So we're not um, being... You know, overly pessimistic on the outlook or anything like that. But, you know, the question might be a bit is, um, are we settling at a new level that's a bit off the top? Or is this an inevitable turn in the cycle? Um, it's it's hard to say. I mean, we've had a, a couple of record sort of production and profit years. Um, you look at some of the key commodities uh, in in grains and beef, particularly at the moment, that are that are down from their highs, um, but there, there's still a lot of evidence, I think, pointing towards um, key markets that are still undersupplied. Um, that, in conjunction with some of the global trade instability, the continuing issues and volatility that goes with the Black Sea region, um, still strong underpinning demand for quality food and fibre. Um, and the way that many countries are trying to manage their food security, it sort of points to a decent case that the commodity price outlook will continue to be at a at a pretty reasonable and profitable level for Australian um, producers. Uh, but but there's there's some other things that come into play now with costs, and we've seen some rising costs come into farming. We've got interest rates that were talked about as something that were coming that are now here. So interest rate increases are very apparent and uh, they will add cost to the borrowers out there in this sector. Um, so when you when you plug that into a commodity price environment that's a little bit off the top and you come into a new year uh, looking for an average to better than average season, I don't know if that would be overly optimistic to expect better than average after the years that we've been having, but, I mean, I guess the fact is that the margin isn't quite as um, potentially full or lucrative um, in the outlook as it's been, that's all. So coming off a little bit, um, that probably tempers a bit of mood and enthusiasm for investment and, and growth and things like that. Um, it's too early to call whether that's the case, but I think, people will be just checking themselves a little bit with some of those newer uncertainties or costs that are now in the equation. Um, and I think it's logical that people will be very selective in the way that they're 
um, spending and investing their money in the next little while. Um, the, the other much talked about issue throughout the industry is foot and mouth disease and the potential of that outbreak in Australia given the proximity of FMD now um, being very nearby in Indonesia and more particularly Bali. I think um, I think there's been a fantastic education campaign being being played out here in industry where a lot of farmers and, and, and service providers have been given really good access to information. You know, the, the concerns or the messaging around being um, alert rather than alarmed, I think, is a good one. And I must say that I've taken a lot of confidence in the way a lot of that's been managed, but also in the very deep and prescriptive um, path that's being set for the many uh, potential variable variables that could come into play should an outbreak occur. I, I think it's a very well-organised industry around, as organised as it could be anyway for a potential outbreak. I hope it's not tested. Um, but it is just one of those things in the backdrop now that has people talking, whether it influences the way they farm and operate uh, remains to be seen. And let's hope that um, we can keep FMD out of Australia that looks more likely that we can than we can't, um, but of course it's still a possible uh, threat. So um, I think um, the industry is being very vigilant and um, everybody's learning and doing as much as they can and and we'll certainly hope for the very best in that. Um, so that's, that's a tone that sits behind what is still a pretty good picture. Um, we've always sort of stayed glass half full on the outlook for agri. Um, it's still half full. Maybe it's a little bit less half full than before, um, if that makes any sense at all. Um, but I think we've got a lot to look forward to, particularly if we can finish out the season with a great spring. Even a normal one, I think, would, would create really strong um, stability um, moving into a new year again in calendar year 23. So uh, look forward to um, enjoying the springtime and hopefully we can all be out there in the market um, more so than we've been uh, in the last couple of years when COVID has, of course, uh, interfered with um, the ability to move around. So with that, we might move into economics, welcoming Adelaide Timbrell to the microphone to speak through um, a very interesting time in Australian and global economics. Welcome, Adelaide. The defining feature of the Australian economy right now is that interest rates are increasing and they're increasing really, really quickly. So the Reserve Bank has increased a cash rate from 0.1% in April to 1.85% as of August. And we expect the cash rate to reach 3.35% by the end of the year. This means for a lot of people who are on variable mortgages, variable business loans, they may actually see that through 2022, their rate that they're paying on those loans are going up by around three percentage points. And that's not based on anything that ANZ internally is planning to do. That is just purely based on the cash rate forecast and the general trend that we've seen in financial institutions this year. The high inflation that is coming along and is really the reasoning behind this high increase is another defining feature that we're seeing, not just in the Australian economy, but across the world. High inflation provides a couple of problems. One is 
you know, it does increase input costs. It makes it harder for businesses to keep their prices the same but still have profits. It also creates a lot of uncertainty between businesses and households as well. This is why we're seeing a lot in the media about recession risks with, you know, people's mortgage payments going up at the same time as their grocery bills are going up and this is happening around the world, not just in Australia. We don't think there will be a recession, though. So at the moment, um, what we're seeing is that there are some protective factors in the Australian economy that will reduce our risk of a recession, Where, unlike some other economies like the US where um, that's not really the case. So one of our really protective factors is we've got an extremely low unemployment rate. So this is great in terms of spending in the economy and avoiding a recession. People do not have to worry as much as they usually would about losing a job, but also does mean that the labour market imbalance that we have seen over the past year or so is not going away. We're still seeing a huge amount of job vacancies um, as a share of the total workforce and even as newly arrived skilled migrants, temporary visa holders, students and backpackers come in to add to the supply of workers, they're also adding to the already really strong demand in the economy. So, so far what we've seen is a huge increase in the amount of jobs available, a small increase in the amount of workers in the economy and even as those number of workers come in, that really, really strong increase in jobs is not going to uh, go away and that labour shortage issue is not going to be going away either. It's also going to be creating an increase in wages. So we do expect wages to be increasing 3.3% year on year through this year. Part of that's because the minimum wage is going up and part of it is because of that very low unemployment rate pushing up wages. And wages are not going to be higher because people are more productive. It's purely because there are just less people to choose from in that pool of unemployed people. And so a lot of people are then luring people from one company to another. So we do think that that will slowly, slowly ease, um, but wages will continue to accelerate over the next year or so. We still think inflation will be above that 2 to 3% target band um, at the end of next year, even with these increases in the interest rate. And so increasing costs, whether it's wages, whether it's other input costs, is something that's going to ease eventually. 2024 is really where we see these things stabilising, but the bumps in the road in that transition period are actually going to be happening for quite a while. The, the good part of that is that we don't have a recession. Part of the reason that these things are going to take a while is because there is a lot of demand in the Australian economy and the global economy. And another thing um, that we're seeing is we actually don't think that the Australian dollar is going to go up quite as much as we did before. We think that the year-end target for the Australian dollar is going to be around 72 cents USD, and that's because of what we're seeing in terms of Australia's um, relative economic growth and interest rate increases compared to the rest of the world. So some of the upsides for you know agriculture exports being that lower Australian dollar, we're still seeing a lot of demand in the economy, even as those global growth concerns happen, that's probably going to be more around construction and discretionary spending rather than anything to do with food. Uh, and then within the Australian economy, even as those things slow down, we're not going to get them down to an actual recession or an actual um, stoppage in economic growth. All right, welcome, uh, Maddie. Uh, oilseed markets. Um, we've got a a piece in our, our commodity note today dedicated to oilseeds. It's been spectacular. Will it 
continue to be spectacular? That's a big question. We sort of have been looking at the cropping sector as a whole and saying how wonderfully that's been doing over the past few years, but we haven't really pulled out the real fairy tale story, which is obviously canola. So we've had canola uh, prices uh, topping at over $1,300 a tonne coming out of Western Australia. It's now down off that, but it really has been huge price rises in a really incredibly lucrative crop. We kind of know why that's been. That's been because of last year's drought in Northern America, primarily um, Canada, uh, also because of the war in Ukraine and the reduction in exports of sunflower oil. Less talked about has been the Indonesian government's um, uh, intervention in their palm oil market. So I think we're all fairly well aware that palm oil is the major vegetable oil um, in, in, in the world at the moment, the most highly globally traded vegetable oil, the most highly used in manufactured products, um, cosmetics, foodstuffs, all of that sort of stuff. It's also a very important source of cooking oil for the local Indonesian community. So as uh, demand, uh, demand was high and supply was low, the Indonesian government came in with an export ban, uh, only a small export ban, but an export ban nonetheless that only lasted for around three weeks, um, which saw prices uh, peak even higher. What we're seeing now is the Indonesian government realise that they have more cooking oil than they need um, and trying to boost exports coming out before the new uh, palm oil harvest uh, comes online. Um, so as a result, we've seen palm oil prices drop uh, almost uh, 42%, I think, in the past few weeks, and that's had a real impact on the global the global market. So the question now is how is that demand supply situation looking going forward um, what can Australian canola producers uh, expect in, in the next year? Essentially, there's a bit of a return to normal as such. Um, that large amount of uh, palm oil sitting in Indonesia, which they're keen to get rid of, will obviously bring the prices down a bit more. It's looking to be a fairly decent canola or rapeseed season in, um, in uh, Canada, uh, which will have a bit of a return to normal. Obviously, the Ukrainian situation with sunflower oil is... Uh, difficult to predict and will probably continue the way it has been continuing. So we'll see some lack of supply out of there. So essentially, as I said, we should see a, a bit of a return to normal prices and normal situation. The thing we haven't been talking about so much is the impact of biofuel prices on, the, on global vegetable oil prices. Um, biofuel prices tend to follow uh, crude oil prices in a certain respect because they're substitutes for each other. Um, and with the anticipation for um, uh, crude oil prices to say relatively high uh, going forward, we'll also expect that to put some upward pressure on, on, on uh, vegetable oil and as a result, canola oil prices. So what we're seeing essentially is some mitigation in prices going forward, um, but not a drop out of the market and not a mass, not a complete return to normal as there is still that bit of lack of supply from Ukraine and, and the upward pressure from biofuel prices. So what are we seeing in the domestic market? Uh, as um, we're seeing the total area sown uh, to canola increasing by about 12.2%, so that's up to 3.3 million hectares, which is a huge amount. Uh, but we're also seeing um, the forecast for total tonnage being brought in coming back a bit, and that's just a seasonal factor. Um, so having said that, what we're seeing is the second best uh, canola crop on record is what's being expected going forward. So all looking very solid and very strong for canola going forward and a bit of a difficult year for the global vegetable oil as we try and refine their feet um, in in the new global norm and and as new as producers come back online. 
Um, welcome, Michael. We're going to talk grains, and we've had the Australian Grains Industry Conference recently as well, which was great. Um, what's your take on the industry at the moment and um, the key thoughts for the upcoming harvest? Absolutely. And in fact, Mark, when you talk about the upcoming harvest at this time of year, always an interesting time of year uh, for grain growers across Australia and possibly particularly down south. It's that time of year where the finish line is in sight, uh, where the headers will probably be out from about October in the north as they start to gradually head south. And as all eyes are out there every morning, just looking at what frost conditions could be, um, because there is that forecast for a terrific crop this year yet again, uh, but you don't take anything for granted until the grain is finally in the bin. Uh, the big story with grain, and as Maddie talked about with oil seeds, continues to be the impact of Ukraine and how much that's impacting global prices, global supplies, and at the end of the day, what that's going to mean for Australian growers across wheat, uh, barley, canola, and, and all the other grains and oil seeds as well. In terms of prices, at the time that uh, we're talking today, it has been interesting to see yet again uh, after the peak in prices or two peaks in March and May of global wheat prices, uh, they're now down around 40%. Um, that's largely triggered by uh, an easing of concerns about grain coming out of the Black Sea region and coming out of Ukraine as the first ship has recently left, as discussions continue. But the market's not taking that for granted. It's watch this space and see how much this continues going forward. So things have come off that peak, but they, they continue to be strong. The outlook for the crop going forward, well, there's mixed outlooks. And once again, it all depends on the weather uh, and how much actually comes off at the end of the day. Still looking at around a 50 million tonne crop, which would officially be the fourth largest ever, but there is uh, some money on the fact it could be even higher. Maddie talked about the canola crop looking like the second largest one. Um, Wheat still on track for about a 30 million tonne crop, which would be the, the fourth largest ever. Uh, and barley as well, about the fourth largest ever uh, with an 11 million tonne crop out there. One of the other things to look at when we're looking at where the crop will go in terms of prices and, and the fortunes for Australia longer term is when we look at what's happening with Ukraine and Russia at the moment and the world having uncertainty about how much grain and oil seeds there will be out there, just how much of a role does Australia actually play? And if we look at some of the big stats, in terms of wheat exports, we may be small in terms of global production, but in terms of global exports, uh, we're sitting at around uh, 12 to 15% of global exports. So we are a reasonably important player there. Um, it meant that we've come behind Russia and the EU are about 17%, um, but we're sitting roughly even with the US and Canada. So we are going to continue when grain comes off to be very much in demand. Add to that the fact that the uncertainty that's come out of Ukraine over the last year has meant we are likely to see increased buying into storage by a number of major countries. So stocks to use ratios will, will go up, uh, well, stocks will go up even further by a number of countries. So that's likely to keep a strong upward pressure on price. In terms of barley, well, we make up even more. Uh, despite all the, the interactions that have happened around China, uh, barley exports have remained strong, barley prices have remained strong, and we're forecast to account around 20% of the world's barley exports going forward. So that will very much keep Australian barley in demand uh, across the feed side, across the malting side as well. Um, both in Asia and the Middle East will be the, the main destinations there. And as Maddie talked about, uh, 
the Canadian crop and issues there for canola have meant that Australian canola has been particularly in demand. That outlook for the Canadian crop continues to be average at best. And the fact that Australia makes up around 20% again of uh, world canola exports mean there will be that strong demand there. So it's watch this space. Prices remain good. There is some volatility. Let's just all keep our fingers crossed that the weather does the right thing from now until the headers go out. Thanks, Michael. Okay, Maddie. talking beef, um, we've seen some really strong, continuing strong uh, ecchi performance in the system, but it's uh, it's come off more recently. Uh, what can we expect next? That's right. It has come off and it's not unexpected that it's come off, but I think the main question for many is what is it that's driving the drop? Is it fear of foot and mouth disease or is it something else in the fundamentals behind, behind the industry? Um, Firstly, just to put it in pers in perspective, what we've seen. Um, so from the peak in, or so from about early June, we've seen about a 20% drop in the ecchi um, up until early August. So it's a very, very significant drop in anyone's uh, terms. But we also have to put that in perspective. Um, so what we see is that we're still trading at about a 28% premium on the five-year average and almost a 60% premium on the 10-year average. So historically, the ecchi price is still very, very high. What is interesting is this large drop has actually seen seen the ecchi come back to being on trend. So for a five-year trend price, we're now basically where we where the computer model would sort of probably normally put us just on trend factors. So what is it that's driving that's driving this drop in the ecchi? As I said, fear of foot and mouth disease is a factor, particularly for an industry where prices have been supported so heavily by restocking activity for so long. Um, the fear of FMD coming into the country, I think, has pulled back on restocking, uh, restocking activity just slightly, and that's obviously uh, pulled back prices uh, quite a bit. But what's actually sitting behind that is fairly thin market and a fairly um, under-traded market. So what we're seeing is that numbers, slaughter numbers, numbers in the sale yards are still incredibly low. Um, so for the first three months of uh, 2022, uh, cattle and calf slaughter numbers were the lowest on record since 1974. So they're very, very low numbers, and we know the reasons for that. That's all because of COVID and a lack of labour in process in the in the abattoirs and for processes, um, leading to a it leading to a, a, a backlog of um, activity or a back. A, a, um, processes being full, uh, meaning that there's not much uh, being bought in the sale, sale yard. So essentially what that means is because the trade has been so thin, um, it's exacerbated the ups and the downs. Um, so when a few few buyers leave the market, it means that the prices have dropped quite significantly. So that's really what's been going on in our markets at the moment. And while, as I say, a 20% drop in the ecchi would send shivers through most people's spine, it really isn't something to worry about. It's brought us back to trend and we're still doing incredibly well historically. Um, so, looking forward to what's going on, uh, what's going on on the global market, which is also the interesting factor right now. We've talked about for quite some time. We talked about um, how expensive Australian cattle were on the global market. That's changed with the US US beef now becoming more expensive um, than than Australian Australian beef. Um, it's an odd situation in the US right now because actually they're in the middle of essentially going to a herd liquidation with drought in the key cattle producing areas. So we're seeing huge numbers of females 
go to slaughter and large numbers of destocking across across the US. So we'll see a lot of US beef come onto the global market, um, but um, at the same time, that's uh, that'll that will come before a fall um, as their herd numbers have been um, run down quite considerably. So the other factor driving Australian beef prices is exports. Um, obviously, Australian the Australian cattle industry has relied on exports to be to support prices for many many years now, and we're continuing the trend of struggling in the export centre. So we've seen declines in exports to almost all markets: Japan, South Korea, China, US, Europe. They've been, but. Having said that, those numbers have been depressed for a number of years now, for two years now. Um, so we're we're not seeing a huge change in that, and we're not seeing possibly the rebound that we'd hope to see um, see occur. So how does it look going forward? Essentially, as I said, um, we, we're seeing we've seen the large drop in the Eki price. I don't think anyone should be particularly concerned that that's a that's the start of a huge slump or anything along those lines. I think it's it's merely a factor of the thin trading in the market, the fact that we're in the middle of winter, and once once the processes and the restockers return to the market, we should see an uptick in the market. Okay, with many of our key commodities um, taking a, a slight uh, fall more recently, dairy seems to be the standout at the moment. Uh, how long might, might we expect it to continue, Michael? It very much is a standout in terms of prices, Mark. You're right there. And in on their own, farm gate prices for dairy have actually never been better. Recently, we've seen prices break through that milestone $10 a kilo of milk solids uh, as the processes really try to compete to attract supply in what is a tight market. At the other end of that, though, is costs. So let's talk about both sides. In terms of the prices that we say that, that growers are getting and the dairy producers are getting, they are strong. Um, we're seeing the retailers, Coles and Woolies, who not that long ago were talking about dollar a litre milk, have continued to lift their prices as well. So we've seen milk recently go from $1.35 a litre for generic supermarket milk up to $1.60 a litre. So really, the, we continue to see price increases across the supply chain. Uh, and Australia, the Australian dairy industry is really looking to boost exports at the same time as well. And there's been a recent advertising campaign launched across Asia, uh, particularly across Japan, uh, China, Southeast Asia as well, to boost the profile of Australian dairy exports, but to also remind consumers in that region that the Australian dairy products are of such a high quality and therefore are worthy of paying a premium. What's happening on a global basis with dairy prices? We have seen some easing recently. Things have started to come down, and this nervousness is probably around the tighter economic conditions. Dairy, dairy markets globally are just worried a bit that uh, consumer demand could be hit. Uh, and, and the biggest area where this has been hit recently is China. China's dairy imports are down about 24% year on year, um, which is a major reduction. And so even though uh, global dairy production itself has uh, been down a bit with issues with New Zealand, the US and the EU as well, China's reduction in imports is even larger than the global decline in production. In terms of the Australian dairy herd, the numbers there continue to be interesting. Uh, the dairy herd is forecast to keep going with this long-term contraction. Uh, the herd's down to a multi-decade low of about 2.2 million. So it's about a third down where it was 20 years ago, half of what it was 50 years ago. And the fall in milk production not quite as stark because yields are up uh, and continue to go up, but it's still down to around eight and a half billion litres. Uh, so that really continues to come down. What does this mean? Has the dairy 
farming sector hit a structural low or will it continue to decline as dairy farmers sell out to beef and sheep operators uh, as they retire, as they move into other things as well? As supply gets tighter and tighter domestically because of this, will farm gate prices continue to go up uh, as the dairy processes compete for supply? But at the other end, in terms of costs, uh, in terms of tight labour availability, how much will these continue to impact dairy producers who, despite the high farm gate prices, uh, are, are being squeezed by, by a range of these inputs? So things looking good, but the challenges remain there. Now, um turning our attention to the sheep industry, if we can. Um, it's going to be an interesting spring, I think, with uh, a few sheep backed up in the paddock at good weight, looking to get through the system. Uh, what are we going to see uh, in the next few months? Well, the next few months, Mark, always interesting for everyone in the sheep industry. Sheep, to a degree, work far more to almost a predictable cycle than cattle do, uh, with, with spring lambs coming onto the market as well. So recently, we have seen that decline in sheep prices, and it has been a pretty stark decline as well. Um, we've seen prices come down uh, to some of their lowest points since about 2018. That's one way of looking at it. But uh, when we look for some of the reasons in this, they're not overly unsurprising. And to a degree, sheep prices often dip every year um, around this point. Um, we've got the, the end of last year's lambs finally coming to market before the spring lambs hit the market. We had a lot of farmers uh, keeping a lot of lambs on last year to make the most of the grass and restock, and they're now selling those. Uh, there has been that downturn in processing capacity, as Maddie talked about with the cattle side of things. So that has held some back a bit. And also at this time of year, particularly in the south once again, uh, because some of the pastures could be straining a bit uh, through winter before the spring weather comes, uh, we see a, a number of producers offloading sheep to, to make the most of the pastures uh, carrying capacity before they start to grow again. So prices are down, but not really anything to worry about and, and forecast to, to go up again in the near future. Um, what are we seeing overall in terms of the, the sheep flock before we look at wool as well? Well, the sheep flock continues its climb up again. Uh, 2022, some of the forecasts are the sheep flocks are going to go up about 8% on last year to a 10-year high of 76 million. Uh, that is a really strong recovery considering things were down to around 63 million in 2020. That was the lowest point the sheep flock had been since 1903 in the drought around then. And the outlook going forward is even stronger. Uh, some forecasters are saying that in 2023, going forward again, we could be seeing the Australian sheep, sheep flock knocking on the door of 80 million, high 70 millions to, to 80 million, which would be its highest point since 2007. Uh, we're seeing a strong outlook for lamb production. We're seeing a, a strong outlook for mutton production as well. Uh, so they all continue to be very good signs for the industry going forward. That export demand for, for meat remains there and, and the domestic demand continues to remain strong. So some dip in prices, uh, outlook looking uh, pretty good at the moment too. Finally, on the wool side of things, always interesting. And wool, in a way, also continues to see recovery. The, the forecast for this year is that we're going to have around 400,000 tonnes of wool, which would be a five-year high. Uh, back to about the point also that things were in 2008, 2009, when wool had been going down for years since the end of the reserve price scheme and the wool stockpile. Um, and so wool, yes, gradually showing recovery after those challenging times over the year and things looking good. 
As far as an export goes, um, wool exports uh, are forecast to, to be worth about $3.5 billion to Australia. Um, quite impressive growth on the $2.5 billion they were in 2020, 2021, um, driven particularly by... Uh, an outlook, yes, in one way. We'll have to see what the impact will be of global economic uncertainty. But surprisingly, consumer sentiment for wool uh, in some of our major markets uh, continues to be reasonably strong. So across the board for, for sheep, uh, whether on the meat side or the wool side, things looking pretty good again. Thank you, Michael. Um, very encouraging. And speaking of another natural fibre being cotton, it's been a fantastic year Plenty of water, maybe a little bit too much water for too long, but still a lot in system and prices have been great. So if you could give us a quick update on the outlook, that would be great. Absolutely. Look, in, in terms of cotton, very interesting once again, uh, and particularly with some of the global factors going forward. Cotton is one commodity that perhaps more than a lot of the other agri ones can be impacted by what happens economically, uh, because uh, when consumers around the world reevaluate what reevaluate what they buy in terms of clothing and in terms of other cotton products, um, products from around the house, curtains, all that kind of thing. Um, history has shown that that can take a bit of a hit uh, in economic times and can ripple back through the supply chain. So normally economic uncertainty would reduce consumer demand. The other thing at the moment is that cotton prices have been very high recently. Um, global cotton prices have been their highest since 2011. And this has been caused by a number of things. And once again, cotton works in a cycle and has been cyclical for a very long time. Um, when uh, we had seen a, a recent demand over the last couple of years for demand for textiles, um, the world had had some of its lower stock levels. Uh, we had seen some interruptions to different crops as well. So things had been high. We may well now see prices uh, continue to fall. Uh, in fact, from April to August this year, we saw global prices fall by about 50%, down from uh, very high to, to, to still a very good crop. Um, driven by fears of that looming slump in consumer demand. Um, but the thinking is that prices are stabilising because inevitably cotton will rebound at some point. As far as global competitors to Australia go, uh, we've talked about the impact of the US drought on uh, US beef industry. Uh, it's also likely to hit the US cotton industry too with the drought in Texas. Uh, one of the other big producers who looks to have crop concerns is India, where the low rainfall has meant uh, reduced yields there and increased parasites in the cotton crop. So globally, the world is looking for the cotton crop to go up slightly, um, but then wait for that economic recovery after that. So what's the forecast in Australia? Uh, currently about the same. It's looking like being reasonably similar to last year's very good crop, um, looking like uh, around 612,000 hectares, the second highest uh, cotton area on record. And the production itself might fall a small amount down to about 1.2 million tonnes, uh, um, which would still be the second highest crop on record. So watch this space. Uh, water available, availability, Mark, as you say, is good. Uh, Australia's, co Australia's cotton reputation continues to be good on world markets. Uh, export demand may be impacted somewhat. Uh, but once again, as with a lot of these commodities, that outlook continues to remain a strong one. Thanks very much for that, Michael, and thanks to Michael Whitehead, Madeline Swan and Adelaide Timbrell uh, for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed our August edition 
of ANZ Agri Commodity Insights, and we look forward to bringing our next edition to you in October, and hopefully we can see many of you out and about in the marketplace uh, in the meantime. So thanks again, and hopefully see you all soon.